Hi, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And with me today, I have a wonderful, amazing guest who is the author of a book that I'm reading that I'm so in love with. I had to reach out to her and ask if she would come on the show. Miss Betsy, and Betsy, I didn't even ask you, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Politan. Betsy Politan. That's like what I was Cosmopolitan. Say. <laughs> Betsy Politan, like Cosmopolitan. That's wonderful. And Betsy is an internationally recognized breathing movement specialist and best-selling author. She is a master of fine arts, a somatic experiencing practitioner, and she's been teaching for more than 40 years and is currently a master lecturer at Boston University's College of Fine Arts. Her background includes 45 years of movement education and performance, as well as training in the Alexander Technique, music, dance, yoga, meditation, trauma resolution, and the broader healing arts. Her work is greatly influenced by the teachings of spiritual and meditation masters. Betsy, thank you so much for being here today. I know there's more to your bio and we'll put that in the show notes, but I'd rather spend the time actually hearing from you. So how are you today? Oh, Alice, thank you. Dr. Alice, thank you for having me. Uh, It's really a pleasure to meet you and have this opportunity to exchange ideas and thoughts in in our shared field. I love that. And it's really an honor to speak with you. I was saying to Betsy before we started recording how much I'm enjoying her her newly published book, Humanual. So if you would, Betsy, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the book? Sure. I'd be happy to talk about the book. <laughs> I know it's kind of a broad topic because it's an amazing book. Right. I can talk about, you know, the um, the creation of the book first. Why don't I do that? I actually started this book um, probably close to 15 years ago. started writing it because I had all these thoughts about different things that I was learning and knew about or was interested in. And I showed my initial uh, ideas to my daughter, who's a writer. And she looked at it and she said, Mom, she said, this is, this is so many ideas. This idea is so big that why don't you, because I'm not a writer. I don't consider myself a writer per se. It's not my, you know, my, my vocation in life. <laughs> so my daughter said, uh, why don't you start, if you're going to start writing, why don't you start with something kind of simple? Like, you know, you're teaching because I'm at the faculty at Boston University in the theater department, in the music department. And she said, why don't you start just writing about what you teach? Because you know about that. So I thought, mm, all right. So I, she said, that'll be easy for you. Well, it wasn't easy, but <laughs> that took me about five years to do. And that book came out called The Actor's Secret. And it's about transforming habitual patterns to improve performance. But the, the difficulty or the interesting thing about the book is that it's, not, it, it's written for actors, but it's not just for actors because I use the word actor in the Shakespearean sense, uh, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players, because we're all actors, we're all playing roles. And so the book is, is for really for everybody. So anyway, so that came out. And then after that, I started uh, working more with Humanual and over the years just spent more and more time with it. And the interesting thing is when I went to publish it, a few of the larger publishing firms, companies said to me, this is, this book is amazing. It's groundbreaking. It's this and that, but you need to make this book for us to publish it. You need to make it for people with anxiety or for people with depression or Mm. for this or that. And I I try, you know, I thought I, I, I just can't do that. I wanted to because it was good opportunity with these publishers, but the book is for everybody, you know? And I thought it was kind of interesting that now here is a book that is for everybody and it says it's for everybody and they want me to go back and make it for a specific group. Whereas the actor's book was for a specific group, but you know, so Life is interesting in that way. But the, hum- the Humanual book itself is really for everybody. 
It is. I mean, I, I think I, you say it's a manual for being human and, and f- I haven't read the entire book. And I'll say this too. It's a really lovely book. If you, if you do just read bits and pieces here and there, at least that's been my experience. I learned something. There's all these wonderful exercises that are so simple yet so profound that you have scattered throughout the book, not scattered, appropriately placed throughout the book that are um, just really easy to use, but but transformative in how we relate to our human bodies and our human experience. So how was that for you, Betsy, Going, having to go through that rigmarole with the publishing companies? Did you go through a smaller publisher eventually? Um, you know, I, I guess he's, I don't know that he's considered smaller waterside. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but the thing is, yeah, I guess he's considered smaller, but he's not because he's been in publishing for a zillion years and he's not really smaller, so... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're, they're all just, I mean, publishing is such a uh, uh, changing field these days, you know, with, with lots going on in that, in that realm. So, yeah. It, so, it sounds so challenging to not only to write a book, but then to go through all the aspects of getting it published and even designing the cover art I've been let in on is, can be a tricky thing as well. All these little pieces we don't think about necessarily. Yes. They all, they all took time and effort and energy. And I think this, no, I think this, you know, because, uh, you know, people say, oh, this is the way a book cover should be to sell it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this is what I want to say. So it's, we do go back and forth. And even the, uh, the, the subtitle, which is one of my favorite phrases, an epic journey to your expanded self. Hmm. I actually wanted that as a subtitle for the actor's secret. And that was published by North Atlantic. And uh, the publish they, they wouldn't have that as a subtitle. Wow. So That's I saved it. I'm glad I saved it. It's, <laughs> it's perfect really, for this book. It is, it is. Um, so again, life is interesting what, uh, how we think in one moment that we want, you know, I want this to happen here, but it doesn't happen here, but then 10 years later, it happens somewhere else. So I think that's a good lesson, probably for me in this moment as well, maybe for some of the people listening to keep that in mind. And I'm yeah. glad you you mentioned the subtitle because I wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit more about the expanded self and and what this means. Yeah. I mean, I think this is this is something that we all long for, you know, whether aware we're aware of it or not. Um, because life comes along in its many forms and most or if not everybody encounters some element of compression or contraction or fragmentation or disconnection, you know, not done intentionally many times, but it just seems to happen that way. And so there is an aspect inside of us in all of us that somehow wants a bit more and it's you know the expanded self is on so many different levels uh i mean it is it is physical because there's there's this element of you know contraction in my right now it's a it, we're on podcast but i'm i'm curling in my shoulders and putting my arms together and folding in on myself which is what often happens when there's difficulty or shame or any of those and so some element of expansion in the physical realm uh opens something you know our breath our feeling And then, you know, it's the same thing with the mental, um, our thoughts get, you know, narrowed in again, contracted in, and we we don't see every, every, all possibilities in a situation. And then spiritually, you know, is there even a spiritual, a spirituality to go to, you know, do we even lose that totally? So the expansion, again, can be on all the different levels that we exist on and that invitation to have just a bit more to open to our life force can just be so 
exciting, satisfying, scary, you know, all of the above. But we all, most people seem to have a longing for a life that's, you know, a bit more. A bit more. And I love yeah. that you you talked about it on all these different levels because you do such a beautiful job. Just your your history and your years and years of work and expertise, you're able to combine these different aspects of self. You know, from your your rich knowledge of the musculoskeletal and the nervous systems and those physical moments of expansion, where it doesn't necessarily have to be going from that curled up position to this, you know, rim rod. I'm straight. I'm I'm tall. But when both are sort of these forced mechanisms that don't have, don't allow us really to let our body lead the way or guide the way. And I love that you have this overlay of the, all of these concepts, the physical and the spiritual and working with the, the neurophysiology. I don't know that I have a question there. I just, I find it such a wonderful and, and like fully engaging approach to working with our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And even as you notice in, in the book, and by the way, I was thinking that the way you said, you know, that you're reading the book and taking your time and reading here and there, that's exactly how we would do what we would do with a manual, pick it up for this or that. It's not, you know, actually one person did say to me, she wrote to me and she said, oh, this is a page turner. And I was like, really? Because <laughs> most people don't see it that way. It takes a long time to read if you're going to read the whole thing or just read it here and there, which is Perfect. I guess my question or thought around that is why, and I know there's so many pieces that go into that, but, but I believe that really is our natural state. And yet as humans, we do tend to get so bogged down with all of these other things. Like, why do you think that is? Is that just the nature of humanity in, in our present day time? Yeah. I mean, I think culturally that just, just for one, one example, like when, I'll speak for how it was for me when I was young, younger, uh, like in, you know, in first grade or in the United States, what's called first grade, because I know in other countries, it's different levels of, they call it different things. When you're learning to write, so the child, from my experience, the most important thing for that child is to get that letter just the right shape or just the right size within the lines or however we do it. And yet nobody cared about that poor child was so nervous and anxious that I might do it wrong and I'm holding my breath and I, you know, my, my muscles are tensing. Like nobody cared. Nobody cares about that. And that's, you know, so that's our training is that just get it right, mm-hmm. you know, and yet a healthy nervous, a healthy, resilient nervous system, I think is a lot more important than getting those letters just the right size and shape when you're so young. So I think our society does not offer us the uh, potential to uh, train ourselves on all these different levels. I mean, don't you think? A hundred percent. I mean, I went to, I spent seven years in school studying health promotion and got my doctorate in physical therapy, which is this, I'm a musculoskeletal expert. The amount of time we spend on understanding any of this is like, there isn't any, you know, I want to now try to educate more of my fellow PT since I've been studied somatic experiencing and understanding more of this three-dimensional nature, it's, it's vastly important in developmental stages with the children, but also in working with injuries or humans. (laughs) And it's, it's lacking and it's lacking even in education across the board, you know, from the time when we're young to these higher level, you know, expert level programs, even in medical schools, I think they get hardly any training really on how to deal with the trauma in the nervous system. Yes, I'm told that the um, in in medical school there's there's barely a class on trauma, which is it's bizarre, mind blowing, because it it's it's everywhere, and yeah. it's 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 so much 
the foundational reason for so many illnesses, you know, and so many, like, you know, people have a frozen shoulder or something like that. And, you know, it's do the ex exercises. And yes, these things can help here and there. But sometimes it's like, you know, when I was growing up, they, they, I was bullied and all I wanted to do was punch that person. And it's that fight punching incentive that's just held and never got to be expressed. That's why my shoulder's frozen. And all the exercise on the planet uh, might help it a little, but they're not going to get to that root cause, which when you think about it, it's so... It's a shame that these things are not more widespread, which is why I write my book, which is why you do your podcasts and your teaching. You know, we, 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 we have an expanded view of what life can be, and we want to help others see that. It's so well said. Yeah. That's entirely yeah. true. And in working with children, I was just around, I was visiting family for Thanksgiving and I had the delight to be around my three-year-old niece who is just, you know, she's a joyful kid. She's such a great kid. She's singing all the time and just watching her movements and the way she is in the world, it, it is like full of this life force. And she's, yeah. you know, got good safe attachments with her parents and it's wonderful to see. And I'm just wondering if we do have kids or we have children in our lives, like what are some ways that you suggest to to bring in some of this work at a young age so that they can maybe get a little bit less bogged down as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing is that we actually really listen to children. Yeah. You know, we tend to want them to think what we think, do what we do and, you know, do what we think is right and that's in quotation marks. And yet listening to what the child is actually saying, like if, you know, if it's, if it's dark it, it, or something and the, and the child says, uh, you know, oh, I'm afraid of the dark. And the parent says, oh, no, you're not. You know, it's not to be, you know, and it's like. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, there's nothing to be afraid of. And yet the child, is, you know, can't say anything. It's just as like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, <laughs> you know, like, why would I've said I'm afraid if I'm not afraid, I'm afraid, you know, and really be being with what's actually going on for the child, which is not easy because parents are totally stressed, definitely overworked, you know, and especially now with the pandemic, working full time and having your child home. It's a lot, it's you a know, lot. Yeah. It's a lot. I, I mean, I'm, I don't have that now. I'm, my children are grown up. I have grandchildren. So I, but I see what that's like for people. And um, so giving the, the children the attention that they need, you know, or even an, another aspect of it is when I, and, and I think actually this is very interesting that I don't know if you've seen or heard on the, you know, on online that these outdoor schools now, are becoming quite popular. And, um, you know, they're, they're like it, what used to be called outward bound where you, you know, you go out in the, in the, in the wilderness or you, you go out, you know, in the woods kind of thing. And these, these programs are filled to the max with long waiting lists and people are making new companies with these because children want and need to get outside into, into nature. Mm -hmm. And they're realizing now, especially with being cooped up at home, that this opportunity to be outside is, is what kids want. Yeah. And so, so then, many... go ahead. I was going to say they, they get to move, they get to run, you know, run, run on grass or on pine needles instead of on concrete, you know, it, uh, it's a little different. So I think that's, that's really another important piece. And, and really, like I said, just really being there, like if something really happened to, the to a child, would your child go to you with that? 
you know, if something happened, like if they got bullied at school, would they come home? Would they share that with you? I mean, I think that's the kind of relationship you want to have with, with your child, ideally. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And it is, it is difficult. I like that you mentioned the outdoor schools too. I think, I think all of us could use a bit of that children and adults. (laughs) We have outdoor school full for adults where it's not just, you know, I'm exercising my one hour a day or I'm taking my walk because I need to take a walk, but just enjoying time in nature and having that sort of macrocosm of our, of our inner microcosmic world be reflected back to us, I think is incredibly healing. Oh, I love you. I love your idea. We should, uh, I know I, I spent a week in the woods in September, just backpacking by myself. And it was so great. Since coming back from that, I'm reminded again of how important that time in nature is. And I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's something so special about it that, um, but again, we, 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 how do we make the time for it? You know? Right. Yeah. With responsibilities and obligations and yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even have above. kids and I feel that stress. So I feel I have so much respect for people raising children right now. I'm like, how do you manage your life at all? It sounds very difficult. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And what, like for someone that leads me wonderfully into my next question with, with someone listening to this podcast or who's checking out Humanual, and you certainly have a ton of wonderful exercises in the book, but just for the sake of our conversation, if someone does want to start practicing, um, feeling into their expanded self more, are there any basic or simple practices that you recommend or where is a good starting point? Because there is so many multifaceted layers to, to your work. Where where do you recommend people start? It's true. I'm just going to actually put a little plug in here. Um, please do that. I'm it's, it's almost finished now. It'll probably be out hopefully by next week. I've the, the book has, 70 uh, specific, what's called EX. So it's either an exercise or an exploration. And there are 70 of them. There were actually quite a few more, but these are official Xs. So I, I made videos of all 70 and they'll be for sale on my website, which is humanual.com. They'll be for sale. Hopefully by next week, they'll be out. They're just in the final stages of, uh, cleaning them up, etc. So, so that has a lot. That has the full set. And then my plan after that, it's and that'll that'll be one price for you know a large. Then I think I'll put together like two or three, um, like for the morning or for the afternoon or for when you're tired. You know, so it'll be just two or three. So the price will be less and it'll be sort of easier. So that's kind of what I was thinking you know, from your question about how, how it would help people. But I think from my, from my experience that one of the most valuable things to pay attention to, and this is even going to sound odd, is to recognize that we are here on the planet. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I mean, like I say, some people listening will say, oh, 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 what the hell is she talking about? Of course, we're here on the planet. But so, 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 so this is one of the s- simple uh, explorations. If you right now, wherever you are, just notice, are your feet on the ground? Okay. And if they're not, for now, just We'll first notice that they're not that their choice is not to be on the ground. Some people sort of sit on their foot or cross their legs or you know do all kinds of things with their feet, uh, which prevents the connection to the ground through your feet, which is an important one. I mean, the others are all there's lots of connections to the ground that we have, and we all have some connection to the ground one way or another because otherwise we can't really manage. Nobody has that sorted out to not be connected to the ground. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, got something so, to do with it. Yeah, exactly. So looking at it that way, there must be something important about it if we're all we all have it one way or another, right? <laughs> so if we just explore it, so noticing your feet on the ground, one of what do you notice? Now, one of the common things that I've 
heard people say over the years is that my feet, instead of settling onto the ground, are kind of pulled up. Hmm. And often, if you think of like the arch of your foot and just kind of lift it a little, that that's a little bit lifted, which is pulled up off the ground. So one of the exercises is to uh, just notice that I happen to lift my arch up a little bit or my foot off the ground and then let my foot settle onto the ground. So in this moment, anybody listening, just see what it's like to let your foot just settle onto the ground just a little bit, how that is for you, if you can sense into that. And then you might notice that, okay, I'm there a moment and I notice it. Well, I kind of want to, I don't really want to be there. I want to come up. My foot wants to come up. So let it come up again. Okay, actually with Alice, do you want to, should we listen to what you have to, what you're experiencing? Sure, we can. I'm standing. So it's a fun practice. Okay. So just kind of notice as you're standing, is there any of that pull up? I think my feet tend to want to be down and sunk in, like my arch is pretty flat. Okay. In general. So when I think about the pulling up, I have to, it's more of a, like a, a conscious movement on my part, sort of pull, feeling the lifting up. I like it better. I like being more firmly planted, but I've, I've done through this a few, few times as you were talking, sort of the lifting and the settling and noticing and there is kind of a sweet spot. That's not how I was standing originally, where a little bit of that lift with the settling actually feels more comfortable for my knees and for my legs. And it, it feel it's like a new, um, a new layer of settling. Maybe it's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or a new layer of actually being here. Yes. So with what you said, the way you said it, you said that your your arches tend to settle down. So notice that as your arch settles down, it's possibly the outside of your foot that raises up a little if your arch settles down. Mm -hmm. And so you could explore that coming up and down. But like you said, then you find some spot that's, yeah, and then you just took a breath. It was just a bit more breath in your, mm -hmm. in your chest there. So neat. These little moments of awareness. I love that you're talking about it because it's, it can just change everything. It can change our relationship to being here on the planet and being in our bodies here on the planet. Exactly. And there's so much information that we're given all the time that we just, yeah, that's it. You're taking a much bigger breath now. Yeah. I can feel that one all the way, like through my chest and down my back. Exactly, because when, when we perceive the support from underneath, we don't need to hold ourselves in the same way. Mm, I can and that's that. kind of just what happened. There's some idea of the support came up for you. And in that moment, you didn't need to hold anything it just like allowed the support to come through because yeah. we tend to hold ourselves up yes we do and we're not just letting our structure support us which is a really nice place to to find when we can exactly yeah yeah oh, that's and, lovely yeah and so in the in those moments one of the places everybody holds themselves up or holds themselves again is the shoulders and so when I realized that I'm supported from underneath, I don't really need to hold myself up, then my shoulders can release, which then allows that breath to flow in without somebody saying, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. It comes from a different place. It's, it's what I call a spontaneous breath. Yes. Instead of a, like a breathing exercise. And I'm curious, I'm so glad that you just mentioned that because I have this longstanding question about breath work. And I know you're, you're an expert in breath work and you've studied 
Who's the man you studied with? I can't pronounce his last name. Carl Strogard? Stow. Stow. It's S-T-O-U-G-H. Carl Stow. Stow. Okay. As a matter of fact. Oh, go ahead. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a new popular book by um, Nestor, James Nestor, called Breathing or Breath. Hmm. Fairly, probably like a bestseller or something like that. It's it's about breathing. And he, he talks about... Uh, underwater breathing and whole, you know he's got it's an interesting book but one of the things is that he's got a whole chapter on Carl Stow interesting yeah it is interesting because nobody talks about Carl and he was probably the because when I was looking into breathing I was working with a lot of singers I was teaching at Berkeley College of Music for 25 years and working with a lot of singers vocalists people who use their voice and so I was very interested in once I realized breathing had a lot to do with it. I I researched a lot of breath people and I just thought, that doesn't sound right. I don't know. You know, I, I don't think that's exactly what. But when I met Carl, it was like, wow, he he knows what's going on with breathing and very few people do. Hmm. That's wonderful. But, you, you're able to study with him. And for quite some time, yeah. right? you, you studied with him for a while. Yeah. Yeah. But then he... He never trained people because he um, he he was very skilled in a way that that not many people are because he had uh, a very finely tuned ear, you know, which many musicians have. But along with it, he had what we call in in the sort of hands on world, he had really good hands. Mm -hmm. So his he did hands on work that he knew exactly where to go. And so the combination of having a good ear ear, and having good hands, not many have that. People have one or the other usually, but to have both is rare. So he never, he never would train anybody, but I, he, he sort of trained me because I was with him a long time. And then he passed away suddenly, which was very sad. And uh, he named 12 people that were qualified to pass his work on. And, and I was honored to be one of them. Wow. That is quite an honor. Yeah. Yeah. It's very special because his, even today, his work, there was complications when he passed away. His family didn't really let the work be, you know, continued and stuff like that. Family stuff, you know, which was a shame because it's brilliant work, but it never really, it should should in again a quotation marks mm-hmm. become mainstream because it's um so helpful like so much of what we're talking about today exactly i'm sorry i interrupted you you were talking you, you started questioning no it's fine i do have a question but i love hearing that background too about carl stroud and um and i'd love to learn more about his work at this point so i'll have to look into that but as a since i've been studying somatic experiencing I have this ongoing question about breath where when is it better to actually bring in some sort of facilitated or manipulated breathing exercises versus letting the nervous system sort of self-regulate and and not inviting someone to do anything to their breath aside from observe it and to, to let the system do its thing. What have you found? Are there certain times when you use one over the other. I know you're, you're very skilled in, in both of these modalities. So I, I imagine your understanding is much deeper than mine. So I'm curious as to your, your thoughts or your approach on that question. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, well, it, de- it depends because for, I was going to say for the most part, it's really whatever is there, mm-hmm. like letting the nervous system find its way and yet, sometimes and very often, people are so sort of off course with breathing that some guidance back to, you know, a better path can be really helpful. So yes. in the old days, I used to do hands-on and you know, working with how your ribs move on your stomach. I mean, I do it now actually without hands-on, which, you know, I would, I'm happy to say works, <laughs> but I did have my doubts at the beginning, but, but, but I do a lot of Zoom sessions now and 
they're fine. People, you know, it's, it's interesting how we didn't do that before because, oh, it has to be hands-on. I have to show you with my hands. And now it's like, well, I, I can, I don't really need to. So it, and also it depends to answer your question. It also depends what you want. You know, if you're in sort of everyday life, your needs to use your voice are to a certain degree, you know, of loudness, of clarity, of uh, intonation, et cetera. And yet if you are a public speaker in any way, or if you're a singer or an actor or performer of any, uh, any caliber, so to speak, you, you need to strengthen your diaphragm. And there's only strengthening your diaphragm is a tricky business because the, you don't really have, well, not you don't really, you don't have access voluntary. It's an involuntary muscle. So how do you strengthen an involuntary muscle? It's not easy. <laughs> you know, it's easy to strengthen a voluntary muscle. I want my bicep to, you know, get stronger. I just move it in a certain way and that muscle will get bigger and stronger. But an involuntary muscle, like, how do you do that? <laughs> it's involuntary. And yet there are ways to do it. And that will give you more breath, more support of your voice, more strength of your voice, more range of your voice. So if that's what you want, then yes, there are ways to do that. But, you know, for everyday life activity, uh, I think you don't need to do a whole lot of it. Mm-hmm. But again, I have to, part of my brain goes like, well, what if they have asthma? You know, you gotta, you gotta, they gotta breathe better. Yes. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they, you gotta learn a different way to breathe. And probably eventually you could get to it by changing the nervous system. Some people will get to it faster and other people need a little more guidance. So it seems seems like some of the guidance might actually then help more of that regular automatic breathing. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yes. Because the more of the spontaneous breathing you have, the more freedom you would have. Mm -hmm. What about for things like in the moment, stress or anxiety, because I know it's really popular to like, Oh, do your deep breathing, which, you know, certainly extending the exhales can be very beneficial, but a lot of the times I'll teach for people to, unless it's really a a high panic state to, to really observe their breath and then see what happens because typically with the observation, things will change on their own. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that and around that arena? I think I agree with you on that. I, I rarely, I I actually probably never tell anyone to take a breath. You know, I'm much more interested, like you said, or like you're doing what is happening with your breath. And as you observe what's happening and you're aware of the potential, here's another thing that what I might say, if somebody is anxious or stressed, I might, again, I would not say take a, take a breath. I would say, you know, what's happening with your breath or what do you notice? Mm -hmm. And then I would, I might say something like you want to remember that your ribs are attached to your sternum and each place where your rib attaches to your sternum there is potential movement there. So what happens when you notice the movement of your sternum, of your ribs on your sternum? And what what do you notice with that? See, now for me, that's going to change something about the breath. Mm -hmm. I could feel even as you were talking with that invitation, just my own breath sort of slowing down and... Like for me, when I place my mind on, you know, being curious and looking at things like that, like what's happening with the movement and the sensation, it's it's like a, a 
a calmness naturally happens because now my mind isn't going off on whatever tangent it was, it was on. So I feel like it serves this twofold purpose of, you know, awareness of the tissue and the, and the breath, but also just giving the mind a different direction. I think you're a hundred percent correct. And it's totally different from if I said to you, you know, okay, Dr. Alice now, you know, take a deep breath. A hundred percent different. Yeah, because that would give you a mechanical different experience, but it would leave out that deeper realm or element of some kind of connection Mm -hmm. to yourself. I feel like that kind of command too, it almost feels not assaultive. That's not the right word, but a little maybe harsh or... Uh, like too directive, like it sort of, it does, it takes away that connection that I might otherwise get to experience with myself when I'm just being very directive in in that kind of moment, which sometimes we need to be directive, but. I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, I I guess I would use the word manipulative. Mm, That word. Yeah. That works as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the, one of the things that, um, it, it bothers me about, uh, some of the um, people teaching uh, about the body and they, you know, it's like, well, if you, you know, what you really want to do is you really want to sit up straight. So just, just, you know, lengthen up your back and and stiffen it up and you'll be, you know, that kind of thing. And, And I just cringe at somebody with authority speaking like that because that's not what wants to happen. And we all know that when you do what is commonly known as sit up straight, it lasts for about five, 10 seconds. It doesn't last very long for most people and they're back wherever they were before. So that tells us that the system is not pleased with this and doesn't really want to be there. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I really, Again, this is why I wrote Humanual, that there are more efficient ways, there are, there are more ways that are more suited to our human design that are lasting and efficient and appropriate and pleasurable. That's what I I want to offer. So it's it's more... It's not really what you do, but it's how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, oh, sit up straight or have a lengthened spine. You know, it means nothing unless it comes from a very specific place inside. So I, I think that stuff's really important. It is important. And it, it leads, you talk about this in the book, it, it really does lead us to existing more in that flow state or that state of of being expanded and, and having access to more pleasure, which is so overlooked and so delightful to go through life with that as a focus or that as a, not an expectation, but as part of our human experience is to experience pleasure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we have a very specific design and when we use ourselves in accord with our design things tend to work, go better. And when we leave that, uh, there's, you know, dis-ease, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's something is telling us this isn't really working for me. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. so instead of trying to get rid of that, the idea is maybe to listen and learn something from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I gave a session recently to someone and she arrived at the session with a pain somewhere and she said, oh, it's going to, you know, the pain is just going to ruin our session. <laughs> you know, it's if, as if like, if the pain wasn't there, I'd have a great session, but the pain's there. So it's going to really interfere with the session is that's her opinion. And my opinion or my view is like, oh, wow, great. I'm glad this pain showed up so we can see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. not something that we want to get rid of, you know, right? just like cut around and remove, which I think is how we like to deal with pain or injury or 
anything like that. It's like, how do we just get rid of it instead of looking at the bigger picture? Exactly. Yeah. And the more, you know, more of us speak like this, the hopefully the more the idea gets infiltrated into. <laughs> I hope so. And it's yeah. a biomedical model as well. Exactly. Um, well, I'm curious too, and I, I know we're wrapping up here. I don't want to take too much for your time, um, but do you have any particular practices that you use in your own um, daily life or in your own personal world that you feel have been really helpful for you as you've evolved through so many years of, of this work and all of the factors that have gone into it? Is there anything that you really feel like has been a constant or that you rely on or find beneficial? Yep. For me, the idea of support, which we talked a little bit about, is probably my go-to. Where can I come in contact with whatever is under me? And where can I open to receive support? And I think that idea for me has just been, like I say, that's my go-to. I do. Where can I open to receive support? Sorry, I just think that's, I'm going to write that down because it's a good thing to remember. Yeah. That, you know, it's not, it's not, um, like even if we use the idea of, you know, being upright, it's not something that I paste on my uprightness, like we're saying with the sitting, but it's something that I open to receive the support from under me. And that fills me with life force from the planet, which is our given, you know, we yeah. get from all directions, but we get a lot from the it's a big planet and it's moving and we're affected from that by that. And that's a really important piece. So now with the pandemic, one of the things, you know, I, I try to walk every day or every other day. So I, you know, when I do it, I do it when I walk, I pay attention to that. Also, the other thing for me would be some kind of breathing practice and it's it's very simple actually i think i did a couple of youtube videos uh, that i posted uh and it's really kind of what we talked about it's really just not just but (laughs) it's watching the breath come in and the breath go out my breath come in my breath goes out and just not again just just it's not really just it's 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 bigger than a just Mm-hmm. breath comes in and breath goes out. And how am I affected by that? And as I watch my breath come in and go out and then some thought comes along back to my breath, here's my breath. And noticing for me, I, you know, I'll notice how the rest of me is responding to that or what else comes up with it. But really watching my breath has, has been for years, a meditation or practice for me. So I think for me, it's that. Now, again, relating that to the idea of support, we actually saw it. I love this full circle. We saw it happen with you when you had the contact of the ground earlier. A few seconds later, I pointed, I said, oh, there's your breath. Did you notice? And so when I'm really receiving support, that invites that spontaneous breath. So that's the practice. It's beautiful. And it's so, again, so simple, isn't it? It's the same as the just, it's not, it's not really because there's so many things happening, but it it is relatively simple. It's, It's but it's actually doing it and being in the experience of it. I think that facilitates changes, openness. Yeah. I do like to keep things simple. I, I think that they're, clearer. Yes. We need simplicity. There's so much information. There's so many, it's like, just try this one simple thing for a couple of days and see how you feel. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be a major production yet. It, <laughs> it you know, it's not as, it, again, we know it's not as simple as it, as exactly. it appears to be. <laughs> I know. It's... Well, Betsy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure just to spend time with you and 
be in the resonance of your field and, uh, and to learn from you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell the audience? I'll certainly post the links for Humanual um, and all of the other, all of your other links, but is there any other thing that you'd like to pitch or, or say to everyone before we sign off today? Uh, let me think a moment. I mean, I, we mentioned my um, website, humanual.com. So that that's, that's on there. I guess what pops into my mind now is just, you know, gratitude and thank you to you for making space on the planet, on the vibrational field for this kind of thinking, because it is not that mainstream in a way. Mm -hmm. And yet it's very human. And so if we can get humanity back into the mainstream, that would be good. Yeah, would be good. And your book does such a, a beautiful job of oh, just like explaining things, but also giving all of these practical exercises. So I really recommend everyone buy a copy. It's it's a great book to have on hand and it is very user-friendly. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Betsy. Thank you, Dr. Alice. I appreciate, <laughs> as I was saying, all of your efforts and your your presence. And I, I really enjoyed our time together. Likewise. And then tell me about the, you're doing a webinar this weekend. Is that right, Betsy? Could you let us know about that? Yeah, sure. It's this coming Saturday and Sunday. So that's December 5th and 6th. And it's for the organization called SAND, which is Science and Non-Duality. And they're a lovely outfit. Um, I I love uh, doing things for them. And it's a two-day webinar called Humanual Basics. So it's the very basic teachings of Humanual, which is support, uh, suspension, and breath. And so we'll have two days. I think it's four hours or two hours. each day, maybe two hours each. I can't remember. It's okay. It's, it's each day we do, we, we spend time together. <laughs> Perfect. And then I'll put that, um, I'll make sure I have that link. Is there a registration link for people to, to sign up? Oh, for the sure. Yeah. It's on, to get it's on my website. Yeah. You can see the details on my website. Okay. Humanual.com. Yep. Oh, I know why I'm saying I'm doing this other class for uh, an outfit in Prague and that's four hours. I think the sand one is two hours each day four hours altogether. Well, it's no wonder you're confused. You're such a busy lady. (laughs) Thank you, Betsy. Yeah. Everyone um, check this out. This should air Friday. So that workshop will be um, Saturday and Sunday. So two hours a day seems very doable. And after spending time with Betsy, I would highly recommend, yeah, to learn from her and be in her energy. It's, it's lovely. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome.